Well, good morning. You got me? Uh, For those of you who know Josh, Josh's brother is in the house. He's the one that looks and acts exactly like Josh. You'll find him. Sam's here. Oh, Kelly's here. Welcome, Kelly. Uh, If you're new here, if you haven't been before, welcome. We're pumped you're here with us. And we're in a series where, where we're looking at Advent. Walking through Advent, and uh, there's a particular scripture that we're looking at, we've been looking at each week. But uh, before we get started, I just want to reflect a little bit. You know, um, who, uh, who's experiencing any kind of anxiety right now in life? A couple of people. There's a lot of really chill people in here with no anxiety. You know, we all have, we all have different ways we express it when we're experiencing it, Right? Uh, an uneasiness, an anxiety, a stress, when those things are happening in our lives, there's ways that we experience it and express it. And one of the ways for me that I experience stress, anxiety, partly it's stress and anxiety and partly it's just habit. Since I was a little kid, I bite the skin on the inside of my mouth. Now, I don't do, like some people bite chunks out of their mouth and leave big holes. I just nibble on the skin that's inside my mouth. It's just this, I'm driving down this, the, the road and I'm thinking about stuff and I'm just chewing away. It's one of the ways that, that my body it deals with stress and processing and tension and whatever. And, and most of the time I don't really realize I'm doing it. But there are these moments in my life where I realize that I'm not stressed or I'm feeling this sense of peace because something in my mouth changes. So a, a, a series of circumstances happened recently. I was meeting with some friends, one of them, Sean, who's preached here a few times. And Sean was just like, man, you seem so chill. Like, how are things going? You seem like you're doing really well. You seem really peaceful. I was like, yeah, I'm really at, at peace right now. Like, life is hard. There's stuff going on. Uh, there's all the normal stresses, but I just feel this, like, sense of peace. I was meeting with my spiritual director, uh, and he was asking me how I was doing. I was just like, you know, I just like this, this season right now, like, no, don't know that much has changed in my external world, but inside right now, I just have this deep sense of peace. Um, and so we talked about that. And then uh, shortly after that, I was at Jack's house on Monday night with a bunch of young people. And uh, this Indian guy, Priyash, was, was in the room. And during worship, he, he did this exercise where he had us turn to someone next to you. He's like, during worship, just turn to someone next to you and just stare in their eyes for three whole minutes. It doesn't sound very long, but like, you, you, you're, you're welcome to try it while I'm talking. You can turn to someone next to you and just make eye contact for three whole minutes. Um, so I turn around and there's this guy that I'm getting to know I don't know very well and we're kind of looking at each other sort of awkwardly and I'm looking at him and I'm like, yeah, this is weird. And then he would like look away and then I, I'm kind of watching him and then he would make eye contact for a couple of seconds, then he'd look away and then he'd look up again and held it for a couple more seconds and he'd look away and then he's like, you're really good at this. I was like, I, I don't know that I am, but inside I was just like, man, I love this kid. He's awesome. And, uh, and then he, he looks up at me and he looks at my eyes and he holds my eyes probably for six or seven seconds. And he just goes, you're so full of peace. I was like, interesting. So we, we keep going on. I'm like, whatever. I'm back in talking with my spiritual director and he's like, isn't it really fascinating that we talked and you said you're in this place where you feel a lot of peace. And then uh, some stranger that barely knows you could make six seconds of eye contact with you and experience the peace that you're feeling inside move from inside of you 
through your eyes into his eyes in a way that he could articulate what he was feeling. I was like, wow, I want more of this in my life. Um, as I reflected on this, and I'm driving one day, and I'm just doing what I do, and I'm reflecting all of this, and I licked the inside of my cheeks, ready to bite. And there's only been three times in my life where my cheeks are smooth. One of them is right now. So there's a piece that I was sensing internally that I was able to articulate to my spiritual director that Sean was able to detect when we sat together, that this person was able to see as they looked in my eyes for six seconds that translates into even the inside of my mouth and the way I carry the posture of my body. Um, it is possible, and as I say, like the world around about is still crazy. Uh, the same stresses are there in some sense there are even more right now as you lead up to Christmas, but it is possible in the middle of all that we're experiencing with the world being crazy round about to walk in a peace that changes the posture that we walk in, the countenance that we carry in such a way that the grace of peace can come through your life and impact someone else. Anyone want that this Christmas? Yeah, there's a few of us would like that, so... You know, we're in this series, we're looking at this one text in Isaiah chapter 9, um, and today we're going to look at the last of the four titles that's used in this passage, and it's perhaps the most needed and the one that as humans we look at and I think would say, this is, of all the things in this passage, this is what we long for the most, and it's this trait, the Prince of Peace. So here's Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 again, it simply says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So Prince of Peace, I would argue the climax of these phrases, and we're going to look at this in a minute, everything in this passage is building towards that final title. And I think there's a reason why when we think of the peace, there's this thing inside of us that hungers to experience that peace that he offers. But we're in Christmas, so I want to jump back and, and start with the Christmas story, read a little part in Luke chapter 2, and just be reminded, we're going to look at some different scriptures, some context, but I want you to look at the Christmas story at where we're going to see the echo of fulfillment of what we've just read. So this is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 4. So it says this. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, the baby who was lying in the manger. 
When they'd seen him, they spread word concerning what, he, what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So you see it in this story. There's this prophecy made years and years before Isaiah. This child is gonna be gonna come. He's gonna be born to the virgin. He's gonna carry these titles. Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And then as you fast forward to the nativity scene, you've got this moment in the middle of the stress of not having a place to stay, having to journey back to the home of your ancestors, uh, that dealing with pregnancy, because that's not a stressful time, right? That's just such an easy, peaceful time for women. There's no discomfort whatsoever. And um, dealing with the pregnancy and the delivery of this baby, and in the middle of this, as it's all happening, these angels appearing to the shepherds out in the field with this declaration that something has happened that's gonna bring, bring peace to all of mankind. The fulfillment is happening of the scripture that we've been looking at. And so we're gonna look at this climactic title. Uh, based on the context of Isaiah, based on the context of Israel, we're gonna look at what it means to be the prince of peace. And as I said already, I would say this is probably the greatest of these titles, partly because it speaks to the deepest need of our souls as humans. Um, I don't know if you've thought about this, peace existed, up until Genesis chapter three. Peace, the absence of peace is tied to the fall. Where there's no sin, there's peace. But as soon as sin entered the world, our peace was stolen. And so everything that we're longing for, sin in us creates this unrest. And so Jesus as the Prince of Peace meets the deepest needs of the human heart. Remember from the last couple of weeks, the context that we're in with this passage. So Isaiah is speaking to Israel. What's Israel's situation? They are longing for the Messiah. Competing nations, Assyria is about to take them over. Babylon's gonna take them over. Rome is gonna take them over. They're gonna experience oppression. But in the middle of all this downward spiral of their country, they're longing for this ruler who's gonna come and bring them peace. So when, I, when Isaiah is prophesying, Again, he's prophesying that this person is going to come. Um, by the time Jesus is on the scene, we've got something happening that kind of looks like what they've been longing for, but not really. Um, Rome is ruling. They have taken over Israel. And there is a thing that existed at the time that was called the Pax Romana. Have you heard that phrase before? Latin phrase, the peace of Rome. And so when, at the time that Jesus is born, there was this declaration that peace had been achieved. Rome had brought peace to the world. They were living in this special day and age where the world was united, peace had come. But it wasn't the peace that had been prophesied about by Isaiah. It was a peace that came by squashing anybody that viewed the world different to you. It was a peace that came when you as an Israelite or any of the other nations round about. It was peace that came when you just towed the line and did what you, you said. So it was the appearance of peace on the outside while inside Israel and all of the surrounding nations lived in fear and anxiety and worry that if you put a foot out of line uh, that, that your life was over. It's into these situations that the declaration comes that we're looking ahead to the Prince of Peace. So um, I know people like to 
I put Greek and Hebrew up here because there's a group of people that whenever it goes up there, they start scribbling down. So I want to put it up there to give people their little art moment. Um, so the, the term Prince of Peace is Sar Shalom. You've probably heard the word Shalom a lot. It comes up a lot in church. We're used to um, when, when you uh, are around the Jewish people, their great greeting, Shabbat Shalom, is their way of saying hello, uh, hello to people and, and the blessing that they give. But I want to look at this phrase, Sar Shalom and just unpack it a little bit like we've done with each of the other terms and ask what this means for us right here in Hillsborough today. So to start with, I want to revisit the immediate context of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. So we did this in week one, but I want to go back and as we look at this, I want you to pay attention to the vision of peace that exists in this passage. So when I say of these four titles, this last one is the climax, I want you to look at the passage roundabout and see that everything that the passage is talking about is pointing ahead to this title in particular. So let's look um, at Isaiah chapter 9, starting at the beginning. So he says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And the part that we're more familiar with. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It'll be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Want to pause a little moment. There's one other place in scripture where Jesus' shoulder is very important. When he bird carries that cross, puts that thing on his shoulder, walks the Via Della Rosa to, uh, to Golgotha. This government is going to be on his shoulders. We know what it looked like for him to carry the government on his shoulders. It was painful and it was sacrificial. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's a vision of an end to war. It's a vision of the instruments of war being used as fuel for the fire. It's a, a vision of righteousness and peace, things being restored, justice happening, no more pain, no more suffering. It's a vision of everything being put right. It's called a government of peace that's gonna rest on the shoulders of Jesus and it will have no end. So everything in the context of this passage is looking ahead to this government that's going to exist on this earth that's going to usher in a period of peace unlike anything any human government can put in place. Not the Pax Romana where there's peace so long as you toe the line, but a peace that comes from radical transformation where sin is broken and the rightful ruler is back on his throne ruling the way he intends it to be. This is the vision that Isaiah is portraying. So when you go through this picture, you've got this wonderful counselor 
The, the one who understands all the master strategies. You've got the mighty God, the warrior, who can fight on behalf of him. We just looked last week at the everlasting father, the king who fulfills, sitting on the throne, leading his people in the way of God. And now this prince of peace that's the fulfillment of all the hope and all the restoration that we're longing for. So, the word sar, very briefly, this is not an exciting word, is <laughs> used all over scripture and it's used multiple times and multiple ways. So I'm going to put up a bunch of translations of this word that you'll encounter when you're reading scripture. Um, you don't see this when you're reading in English, obviously. But so many words that you're reading is this word prince. So um, it can mean the head person of any rank or class, captain, chief, commander, general, governor, keeper, lord, taskmaster, official, prince, principal, ruler, or steward. So just about any time you see one of those words in Scripture, it's this word, sar. So we read it, and it's like Prince of Peace. We automatically put like Prince, so we have Prince Charming in our mind. We have the crowd on his head. He's going to go rescue the damsel. Um, we, have a, we, we have a specific image of what Prince means that we import into this passage. Um, but it's actually, it's broader than that. And I want to contrast this for a minute with what we looked at with Everlasting Father. So the phrase Everlasting Father was pointing ahead to the one that was going to sit on the throne. And we talked about how for Israel, if you read through Kings and Chronicles, they had this pattern that when the king on the throne was walking in the way of the Lord, there was peace for the nation and things went well, and they led people in the footsteps of their father. And then you had these other kings that would come who would rebel against the Lord, and they tended to walk in the footsteps of Ahab or Jeroboam and that father, and they would lead the nation astray. So we were talking about the declaration of an everlasting father was exciting because this was going to be the man who would sit on the throne, who would walk in the way of David and of Abraham, but he was everlasting, so he's never going to vacate. So you never have to wonder if the next person coming is the one that's good, if they're going to walk in the right way or not. And so it was exciting to look at everlasting father, the king on the throne forever leading in the right way. So when you now look at prince of peace and you think about the, the breadth of this word, what's the prince? It's the next in line down from the king. Now that could be, uh, in, in terms of a monarchy, their son as the prince. Or if you look at the story of Joseph, where Pharaoh is leading and Joseph is put second in command, Joseph ends up leading and administrating over the whole of Egypt on behalf of Pharaoh. So what we've got in this title is, Jesus is going to be this everlasting father seated on the throne implementing God's kingdom, but he's also going to be the prince of peace, the next in line to the throne, who's going to be responsible for administering the kingdom the way that God intends it to be. And so that is involved in this word sar. It's the next in line. It's the head person under the ruler uh, charged with administering everything that's going to happen. And there's lots of words they could have used to describe what kind of ruler and administrator he was going to be. What kind of kingdom is this person going to implement? Was it a kingdom of truth, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of justice? No, he's going to be the, the prince or the ruler or the administrator of peace. And it's this word shalom, which we know really well. We're familiar with it. Pastors like to sit in this word a lot. Um, so I want to spend the rest of the time just visiting and revisiting this word shalom and the biblical concept. So if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, what is this peace or this shalom that he intends to mark his kingdom? 
What is this shalom that he's trying to administer in the world uh, as the commander and the ruler and the reigner uh, under God? And so with peace in Scripture, there are three elements to shalom. So the first one is shalom or peace with God. The second one, peace with humanity or other people around about us. And the third one is peace with, with the land or with the earth. And so we see this all the way through Scripture. So you've got these moments, peace with God. Romans 5 tells us, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So through Jesus, the work that he does according to Romans is he restores peace between us and God. Last week we looked at at Satan as the orphan maker. We talked about what it's like to live with an orphan spirit separated from the Father. So the first part of shalom is having that relationship restored. So through the work that Jesus does in justifying us, peace with God is restored where we currently don't have it. And with people, we've got these verses like in Romans 12, uh, as much as you possibly can and as much as within your control, live at peace with one another. There's these constant commands in Scripture that the way we're supposed to live with one another and interact with one another is peace. And then when we think about shalom, when we think of transformation, we're guilty in the evangelical church of missing the last part. We do the let's have peace with God part and let's have peace with one another part, but we forget that redemption is broader than that. Even the creation is groaning for restoration, as Romans also tells us. So you've got verses like in Leviticus 26, so explaining the law. The law is laid out. Here's what to do. Here's how to live righteously. Here's the way to treat the land. Here's the festivals you're going to celebrate. And then, then God says, I will grant peace in the land. And you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. So this promise of national and physical peace that will come as the shalom of God is brought about on the earth. So when we're looking at Jesus coming to bring salvation and bring redemption and implement God's kingdom, it's not just that he restores peace with God. It's not just that he reunites us and fixes the damage, but he's actually putting the whole cosmic order back into the way it's supposed to be. So the, the, the concept of shalom, it's about who we are. It's about whose we are. It's about being reminded who's in control. It's about knowing the unconditional love of God despite your mess. There's a, a meme that's been going around probably on and off the last eight months, and every time I see it, I read it again, and I chuckle. You've probably seen it on Facebook. If you're younger than a Facebook user, you might not have because it's gone around Facebook. Uh, but it says, when God called you, he also factored in your stupidity. <laughs> when God called you, he also factored in your stupidity. I'm like, that makes me so happy. <laughs> I have so much peace knowing that all my idiocy doesn't matter. God knew that, factored it in unconditional love despite our mess, calling us, knowing the brokenness that we would walk in, the health issues that they struggle with, the mental health problems that we're battling, the upbringing that we're fighting against, the socioeconomic situations that we're struggling with, the sin issues that we battle. He knew it all and factored that in when he called you. It's good news, right? Um, Peace, or the word shalom, is such a beautifully broad concept. So let me throw up 
again, a bunch of the range of meanings of this. This is from a dictionary called BDAG, which is looking at all of the different ways this is used in Scripture. So this is how they define shalom. So at the top, the summary, being whole, intact, prosperous, and at peace. I don't know what you think when you think peace. Usually we think like chill, right? There's more to this, whole, intact, prosperity, peace. So there's seven different domains that this is used in Scripture. So ease or being unaffected, being prosperous or successful, being intact and whole, um, experiencing personal wholeness, so well-being, uh, state of health, so being healthy. Uh, it's having prosperous relationships where you have peaceful business partnerships and, and nation partnerships. It's about kindness and it's about total prosperity, the ultimate of which is our salvation. So when, when it's going, here's this guy, he's the prince of peace, it's not saying Jesus is the prince of chill, right? <laughs> this is not saying Jesus is the prince of everything's going to go away and you're just going to sit back on your cloud and play with your little heart. It's a much bigger concept. It's peace with God. It's peace with one another. It's peace with creation. It's wholeness. It's integrity. It's prosperity. It's success. It's kindness. It's riches. It's wealth. It's abundance. And then when you think of the biblical story, what is the promise that's given to Abraham? That I'm going to bless you in abundance. I'm going to give you everything, land, descendants, nations. You're going to rule. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, and I'm going to give it all to you. And through you, I'm going to bless the world. So it's a promise of shalom, of ultimate prosperity and wholeness and health. Now, this is not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. This is not come to Jesus, and he's going to give you everything you want. He wants to make you rich and happy and healthy. But it's part of that, right? Through Jesus, through the sacrifices he calls us to and the work that he wants us to do, he wants us to experience wholeness. I want you to just look at this list. Which of these are true of you right now? How many of you feel at ease and unaffected by the world around about us? How many of you are walking in a place where you feel, right now, I feel so prosperous and successful? How many would look at your inner condition and describe it as intact, whole, filled with well-being? How many of you have this full state of health? How many of you are looking at the relationships around you and the primary word you've got for the relationships that you interact with is peace? How many of you are walking in kindness and the fullness of your salvation? The answer is right, not a lot of us. And if you're here and this list is true of you, please talk to me afterwards because I want you to preach for the rest of <laughs> The rest, the rest of the year. How does that sound? Uh, maybe next year. <laughs> setting you up, Daniel. <clears throat> uh, you know, this peace is not simply the cessation of strife, but personal well-being, hope, salvation, blessing, happiness, fullness. It's living exactly as God intends you to live. I want to look at a couple more scriptures just to tie this together. How do we get this peace would be the first question. I want us to be reminded of Philippians chapter 4. This is a peace that transcends understanding. So when I'm describing the fullness of this peace, it's beyond what we can conceive. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, even when life is C-R-A-P. Uh, don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Rejoice, why? Emmanuel. 
Jack prayed this at the beginning, the with us God, he's near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, if only we would do something here to pray and petition God. With thanksgiving, present your request to God, plug for 24-7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So the orphan maker or the peace stealer is after your heart. And he is orchestrating a whole bunch of situations around you to get you upset and riled up and anxious and frustrated. But there is something that can guard our heart and our mind so that we don't have to lose our peace. Rejoice. Know that he's near by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present things to him. Who are we presenting it to? The wonderful counselor, master strategist, the mighty God, the warrior who can overcome it, the everlasting father who's ruling this kingdom and the prince of peace. That's who we're petitioning for these things to happen. And he will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You know, a lot of us settle for false peace. We settle for false peace. What does that look like? It's the Pax Romana. It's let's ignore the brokenness that's there. Let's not deal with the issues that are in front of us. Let's just kind of brush everything under the carpet and we think we're sitting on a really nice rug but in fact we're on this mound that everyone else can see right the mound that we're sitting on we just brush it under the carpet and we say I'm at peace and we don't deal with any of the issues that are there let's not settle for false peace but fight for true peace and that's going to mean actually addressing the brokenness that we're carrying addressing the issues in the relationships that we have, addressing the ways that we fall short of who God intends us to be in that relationship. And at a time like Christmas, you know who those people are and you know what those things are because this time of year is so stressful because it, uh, it agitates and aggravates the issues that are already lying under the surface. Are you going to be someone that settles for false peace? Or are you going to fight for true peace? I want to give you a test that you can do for the rest of your life to make steps forward in this. And it's Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. This is the peace test. It simply says, now it's a command, it's also an invitation. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. So here's a command that we are given by God through Paul let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So the question is, is peace ruling in your heart? And as I started, you know, in Genesis, people existed in peace with God, peace with one another, and in peace with creation. Sin enters the world, and peace becomes this fragile entity that we spend our existence chasing. So what this means is, Wherever peace is absent in your life, sin is present in your life. So the test becomes this. Whenever you're experiencing a lack of peace in an area of your life, ask the question, where is sin present? If you're not at peace, at the very least, sin is present because you're not obeying this command, right? To let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. But where is sin present? It could be something that you're doing. It could be something that someone else is doing to you. Could be just the sin principle at work. But this is true. 
Wherever you feel a lack of peace, there is sin present. So when I'm driving down the, down the road in my car and I'm chewing like crazy the inside of my mouth and I'm anxious and I stop and I go, ah, I'm not at peace. So where's sin present? I'm having a conversation in my head with someone and I'm planning what I would say to them and I'm criticizing them and I'm judging them and I'm not having the conversation with them. I'm not reconciling the issue. I'm not talking with Jesus about it. I'm not honoring them in my mind. Sin was present. Hey, oh my goodness, where's the money coming from? How are we going to manage Christmas this year? Oh, where's sin present? God, I'm not trusting you as the provider. My eyes are fixed on material possessions rather than on you. God, sin is present. The other part of this test, which is where you take the test to the next level of transformation, is once you ask the question, where is sin present? And you stop and try and figure out where it is. Your next assignment is to ask the question, why four times? Has to be four. Three's not enough. Maybe you can do five, but four is plenty. So driving down the road and I'm chewing the inside of my mouth and I'm thinking about this person and I'm having this conversation in my head and I realize I'm not at peace. Okay, I'm not at peace, so there's sin present. Where is sin present? Okay, I'm not trusting God right now. Why? Well, he's not going to take care of it. I'm going to have to take care of it. Why? Why are you having this conversation in your head with this person? Well, I don't want to have the conversation with them. Why? Well, I might hurt them. Why are you concerned about that? Is it true? Just keep asking the why question until you get to the reason underneath. Why am I scared of this confrontation? Well, actually, because I misunderstand the role of confrontation. Like God wants me to have this conversation because we can't have reconciliation until things are out in the open. The ones that walk in darkness are walking in, if you, if you walk with the sun, you walk in the light, right? You gotta have this out in the open. Part of loving the next person is, is being able to speak the truth in love. So you've got, to, you've got to ask yourself the question, I'm not at peace right now. Where's sin present? And then once you start figuring out, ask yourself why four times and see what God reveals in that moment. Are you letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart? Because I would argue, and I've said these things many times before, that when it comes to some of these things, the church doesn't look much different to the rest of the world. Right, we're walking through Christmas. We gather as the church. We sing worship songs. We sing carols. We reflect on Jesus coming into the world. And then we're just as stressed, just as anxious, just as grudge-holding as the people around about us. So something is wrong in the posture of how we're approaching the gospel if this is not true. Thankfully, when God called us, he factored in our stupidity, right? He factored in our brokenness. He factored in our inability to do this. So present your prayers and requests to God and the peace will transcend. The peace that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind, Jesus. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart are these commands. So, you know, here's the deal. We're looking at the Prince of Peace. I want us to remember this thing. Peace, when we're looking at biblical peace, peace is not a state of being. It's not a condition. It's not getting five minutes rest that you've been longing for. It's not getting that good night's sleep. It's not resolving the conflict that you're wrestling with. Peace is a person. 
not a state, not something we go chasing. It's a person that we can relate to. There's great passages that talk about this. Micah 5. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of his na- in the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. Micah talking to the people of Israel. You're not longing for this external peace that's going to sit on the land. This person is the peace that you're longing for. This passage is fascinating though because let me give you a little bit of the context right before it. So this is starting at verse, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. He will stand and shepherd the flock, and he will be our peace. It's the exact same message that Isaiah is bringing, brought through uh, Micah this time. Ephesians, as Paul is explaining how God takes the Jews and the Gentiles, brings them into one body, as he talks about how we've uh, died to the law and we're made alive in Jesus, he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What does that say? In the relationship that you're dealing with where there's strife, the solution is not just getting rid of the barrier that's in between the two of you. It's having Jesus present in the middle of it. He is the peace. He's the one that tears down the wall. So this pursuit of shalom is about him. It's about your intimacy with him. It's about his presence in the middle of what we're doing. So how do we grow in peace? You know, you could jump online uh, and you could Google, how do I get peace? And there's lots of, it's amazing. There's lots of great resources, secular and religious. And I'll tell you this, almost everything that they will say is biblical. There's some that aren't, but it's amazing when you start looking at the lists and you go, of course. So, so here's some. Um, number one, breathe. I wrote breath. I mean, there's lots of physiological reasons. You stop and you take deep breaths. Like we hyperventilate, we're not getting enough oxygen in our system. You stop and you take a deep breath. We fill our lungs, oxygen flows through our body, our heart pumps better, we think clearer. So stopping and taking just a few breaths is important to finding peace. But why? Because Genesis 2-7 tells us that God created Adam and Eve and breathed life into their being. We know, I mean, I, I go, maybe I'll go a little cookie on you with some of this stuff. God is present everywhere. So every particle of breath that you inhale carries the presence of God. So you stop and you breathe in a big, deep breath. You experience him moving in and through you. Almost everything online will say to cultivate peace, go spend time in nature. Why does nature fill us with peace? Romans 1.20, his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen in creation. God created creation to reveal who he is. Jesus holds all of creation together. When you breathe, you're absorbing the life of Christ. When you walk in nature, you're having the person of Jesus revealed to you by being out there and present. Meditate on God's word, Psalm 119. Uh, 
It, it, it's, I mean, Psalm 119 is all about the law. The law of the Lord, delight in the law, and you'll have peace in your soul. Why? What is the word? It's the thing that points us to the living Jesus. It's not just open the Bible, read some things, and hopefully you'll find peace. You find peace in the word when you open it and you allow Jesus to encounter you through the words that you read. Pray. We just read that verse, Philippians 4. Present your petitions to the Lord with prayer and thanksgiving. And the peace that transcends understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3. Forgive. How do we find peace? There's a lot of grudge holding. There's a lot of slinging of names. There's a lot of othering of people. This is our crowd. They're those people over there. Forgiveness is core to finding peace. And it's interesting. I, I looked at 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What's it say right before that? Bear with one another, forgiving one another, just as he forgave us. Love one another. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's actually, if you want a really... Fun, is that the right word? Fun exercise. Flip to Colossians chapter 3 and go from whatever it is broken down your Bible, like 1 to 16, and just list out the commands that are in there that tell you how to find peace. Admonish one another, sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Put off the old self, put away selfish ambition, put away envy, put away strife. Clothe yourself with humility and gentleness. That's the pathway to peace. Recreation. Same passage, Colossians 17. Everything you do, do unto the Lord. Enjoyment, having fun, resting. What is it that we do? Why is the word recreational? It's the word recreate. Recreate. He's the creator. Get in the world and create stuff. Create memories. Create fun. Create projects. Create art. Um, create laughter uh, is part of where we find this peace. And, and what does it tell us to do? In Jesus. Do everything unto the Lord. And finally, rest. Some of us lack peace because we just need a good sleep, right? We just need a nap. There's a storm in life. Jesus is on the boat taking a nap. Be like Jesus. Take a nap. Rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is where we find our peace. So there's all sorts of tips out there about how we get peace. There's all sorts of things in Scripture that point toward peace. But at the end of the day, everything is an invitation back to intimate relationship with Jesus. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. The peace that transcends understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So as we're walking in this last week into Christmas, there's a couple of tests for you, right? Where are you not feeling peace in your life? Ask the question, where is sin present? Start a conversation with Jesus. Help me to deal with this thing that is stealing my peace. You have a decision to make. Are you going to let the orphan maker rob your peace and joy in this season? Or are you going to stand against them and allow the peace that transcends understanding to fill you? Um, so here's the simple way that I want to finish before I pray. I, I just want us to practice the first of these on this list. So I want us to stop for a minute in the middle of the craziness. And I just want us to take three giant breaths. So breathe in really slowly. Breathe out really slowly.
I, w- I won't direct you now. I just want you to do it. Deep breath in and breathe out. I want you to think about the presence of God in the room. I want you to think about that when two or three people gather to enact the authority of Jesus in the world, he says he's present. So as you're taking these deep breaths, the presence of Christ is filling your body. Allow that peace to fill your soul. And then as we sing the songs that we're about to sing, I want you, as you're breathing, as you're reflecting, I want you to just picture Jesus sitting next to you. You don't need to see him. Just imagine he is next to you, present with you. The peace that you're longing for is right beside you. All you have to do is look at him to find the peace that your soul is longing for. Let me pray. God, it's so easy to forget that peace is not a state of being or a state of mind or a condition in the world, but peace is a person. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the Prince of Peace, and we need more experience of you in our lives. So this season, as we fight anxiety, as we fight stress, as we look at money, as we look at relational issues, as we wonder at purpose and value, as we think about the plans that we have and the things in our life that aren't going the direction that we want them to, Lord, help us to lift our eyes onto you, the Prince of Peace. Lord, help us to see where our sin is in the way. Help us to ask the why questions. And would you reveal to us what's going on under the surface? And then, God, would you transform us as your believers so that as we walk in peace, the people round about us will look in our eyes for six seconds, and they'll say, you're so full of peace. And that peace of Jesus would pass through our body, through our eyes, into theirs, and change their posture in the world. So God, help us as your church to celebrate who you are and be agents of peace as we worship you. Amen.